You're listening to Good Shepherd Brentwood's Sermon Feed. Today's sermon was preached by Father Fred Schmidt and recorded on the 25th Sunday after Pentecost, November 19th, 2023. But you, beloved, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always and everywhere acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. New Testament scholars often argue that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians because they expected Jesus to return soon, and they were distracted by it. The idea, so it goes, is that this expectation that Jesus was coming back soon robbed people of their expectation that, or robbed people of their ability to navigate daily challenges of life. The timing of Jesus' return became an obsession, and everyone spent their time trying to guess when he would come back. Now, we have no firsthand window into what the church in Thessalonica was really thinking, but this is certainly a plausible explanation for what Paul had to say. And subsequent Christian-ish communities have also had that struggle. The Shakers, for example, also known as the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, a very handy name, was thoroughly shaped by this expectation. Mother Anne Lee, one of their early preachers, urged their followers to take up a cross against the doleful works of the flesh, including making babies. So it's somewhat amazing that there are two shakers left in the United States. But as you might imagine, they are not directly related to any of the original members. The older I get, however, the more I've concluded that the church in Thessalonica might have also been motivated by the same struggle that we all have. Life can sometimes be so hard, so complicated, that we just wish that Jesus would cut to the chase, come crashing down out of heaven, and sort it all out. The reason I say this is because down through history, people have predicted the end of the world. And it's not just Christians who do this. Even atheists do it. Nuclear holocaust, life-ending asteroids, climate change, aliens from another planet, artificial intelligence, but strangely not natural ignorance, are all causes that people see of the end. You name it, And there are countless problems 
that have cataclysm written all over them. But when the problems seem to be inescapable or intractable, we inevitably look for an easy way out, even if that way involves ending life as we know it. In fact, I suspect that deep down inside where we would rather not admit it, there is something emotionally appealing about having the whole enterprise end with us rather than carrying on long after we are gone. World weariness can take some pretty strange turns, some of it extraordinarily dark, including the version of world weariness that stalks the minds of those who want to just burn the world down and everyone with it. What is remarkable, however, about Christianity is that even though the early church expected Jesus to return, it did not surrender to world weariness or begin searching the horizon for clues to suggest when Jesus would return. The Gospels, Paul, St. John and the Apocalypse, the entire New Testament for that matter, insists that we do not know and we will not know. Instead, they insist that Christians love God, love their neighbors, practice mercy, and baptize others into the life of God in Jesus Christ. Other than note that we can't know when Jesus will return, Paul doesn't come straight out and explain why this is the approach that he and the church takes. Instead, he urges the Thessalonians to live as children of the light. But Paul does give a hint as to what those reasons might be, and I can see at least three of them reflected in his language. For one thing, as Paul notes, the children of the light know the seasons and the times. Today we might say they know the score. They are aware of the nature of the times that they live in. For all the talk that one might hear about the end of the world, the children of the light know that the end is already here in one sense. It's not the end as in asteroids or melting ice caps. It is the end, however, in the determination of the nature of all things. There is a God and you are not. And he is here in the person of his son to announce the beginning of God's reign over the hearts of everyone who will hear him and believe. In Jesus, then, the kingdom of God is already here. Salvation is now. Judgment is now. We have been offered his life as the model for our own lives. And that is why when this morning, as many mornings, we celebrate the Eucharist using Rite 2, we often say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. We aren't talking about something that belongs exclusively to the past, and we are not talking about something that belongs exclusively to the future. The work of Jesus is done on our behalf over and over again.
So this is the reason to receive the good news of Jesus Christ and the season in which with the dismissal to go out into the world in his name. That is the fixed point in the Christian life and it is really important to remember that. If you are like me, I am often distracted by that truth or from that truth. I wonder, frankly, where the hell we are going. And I know I shouldn't have used that expression, but you felt that way, and I do too. We are approaching a presidential election in which candidates will be two old men who, for different reasons, shouldn't be running for that office. We have a national legislature that can't agree on the time of day. Americans are at war with one another over the very understanding of what our country is all about. And there is a war in Europe and the threat of war in the Far East and a hot war in the Middle East. Frankly, I wonder whether we will look back on these decades and realize that this was the beginning of World War III. I am not sure that we are ready for it, and I am all but certain that we won't have time to get ready for it if it comes. Technology has erased the safety provided by good neighbors and two oceans. But here's the thing. As a child of God, as a Christian, I am convinced that nothing can happen. Nothing. In global terms or personal terms, that is more decisive than what happened over 2,000 years ago in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for that reason, Paul does not look to the timing of his return. A second reason that Paul doesn't give in to world weariness is frankly because God doesn't. As he tells the Thessalonians, God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's possible to hear those terms as words of reassurance addressed to the Thessalonians and to Christians in general. But I think it also describes the posture of God toward the whole of the human race. God longs to save us, not to judge us. And by contrast, people who are world-weary typically surrender to zero-sum theology, arguing, I can't go to heaven unless you go to hell. And more often than not, they envision a future salvation that is otherworldly in almost every sense of the word. As a result, books written by people like Tim LaHaye 20 years ago in the Left Behind novels have more in common with disaster films than the New Testament. The heroes find a way to launch themselves into space leaving a dying earth behind them, and they establish a whole new way of life in heaven or Mars. The only difference between LaHaye's novels is that Christians are taken there rather than to another planet. But that's not the way the Bible reads. 
God is not world-weary, and he has not given up on his creation. In the person of his Son, he draws close to us, and through baptism, he draws us close to him. And the future that the New Testament describes is one not just of a renewed humanity, but a renewed heaven and earth as well. But here, too, then, is a third reason that Paul does not spend his time with a crystal ball. The transformation that God longs to work in and through us is not done all at once on the other side of the grave or at the end of history. It is begun in this world, in these bodies, in the lives that God has given us, and that journey begins now. This doesn't mean that Christians are naive. It doesn't mean that they think that people are basically good, that sin is just a matter of bad choices, or that we can be saved through effort or a new world order. Part of being a child of light is the knowledge that there is darkness. To say that the world needs to be saved, rescued, and healed means that it is also lost, trapped, and broken. And Jesus knew this. His death on the cross embodied it. His resurrection is the promise that the power of death is broken. But this life, that cruciform life, is also the life of the children of light. We take Christ's body into ourselves over and over again. And we live our lives out in the midst of the chaos, loss, and pain that the world experiences. But we do it with hope. And we offer this one message. God is not weary of you, but loves you and longs to rescue you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in hearing our sermons in real time, you can check us out at our website, www.goodshepherdbrentwood.org, or attend online during our 1015 Sunday live stream on YouTube. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Good Shepherd Brentwood. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you'd like to meet with one of our clergy, you can email us at office at goodshepherdbrentwood.org. Or if you're interested in visiting in person or have questions about our programs and services, you can text 615-637-3738 where you'll be contacted by our staff. We'd love to meet you. Thank you.